Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. So I've got Amy on the line. Amy, welcome to the show. What's your question? Well, I have a question about what um, healthy sexuality looks like when Mm. a sex addict is in recovery. One of the things we know about research and sex addicts is that they don't necessarily want sex with their own wife. And so to me, that says he's in really good recovery because he does want that with you. He has been two years sober. He has been in three facilities. And I suspect that's how he's wanting closeness with you. That is right. Um, You know, I always preface that with saying that is not necessarily true. Men do want sex with their own wives. But what I know to be truer is that When a man is in good recovery, he wants that physical connection back that he understandably lost when she just didn't trust him enough to want to get physically close. And so what I want you to know is that if there's a part of you that's ambivalent about about your sexuality, You don't want to trust him again. You don't feel like you can compare. You're doing that thing where you never really know um, what's going on in his mind. Please, I'm asking you to please understand that it is very difficult, very difficult to um, get through that without the help of somebody who understands partner betrayal and sex. It's just, it's so tough to know what to do. And so I just know that it is super tough to do it on your own. So get yourself an AppSat specialist and make sure, if you will, that you work through this situation by all means going to appsats.org and working diligently on finding out what it would take you to feel safe. Now, what do I mean by that? Safe? What does it feel like? You don't know. You thought you were safe, and then you found out you weren't safe. It is really, really tough. That means starting out in small ways. You know, that means that you diligently on um, deciding can you be physical and even sit with him on the couch. You know, is, is that possible? Can you do that? And, and what I know is that if you can do that, well, then that is excellent. Um, Now, we've got a special situation today. Caroline Brown is going to be interviewing me. And so she wanted to find out more about partner betrayal. And I think that's wonderful. I know that you, too, have wondered those kind of things. So, Caroline, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're doing a podcast here. And you wanted to work with because you really feel like you want to know more about partner-sensitive trauma. So take it away. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for having me on your show. Um, I actually have a crazy over 40 uh, podcast, and that's why I kind of reached out to you, Carol, is because I noticed in the over 40s category and there is a, a, a rise in, um, or you would have had to experience sexual uh, betrayal and trauma. And um, so I was wondering, um, how do I kind of navigate 
the world of sexual betrayal and trauma and what does that look like? Because um, most of our lives would have experienced sexual trauma and I know that for some it's like an attachment injury really because at the heart of the trauma there is someone who we thought was our world. And so for me, how do you explain that? So what is betrayal and sexual trauma betrayal? Yes, well, of course, when we look at betrayal, we look at it from an absent point of view. That's a partner-sensitive betrayal trauma model. And so we look at the entire person and we say, how has she been betrayed emotionally, sexually, spiritually, physically, and socially? You know, one of the things we know is that when a partner finds out that her husband has betrayed her, her entire world is changed. It's turned upside down, and she wonders things like, who else knows that he cheated on me? The social implications. Or she may think, you know, physically, am I safe? He said he had protected sex. But how do I know that? So, of course, we immediately encourage her to go for STD testing because we, mm-hmm. you know, I have worked with men who actually got a, a sexually transmitted disease, came, came back home and said, mm-hmm. honey, please take these antibiotics. I've got strep throat, and the doctor thought you could give it too. And so she took medicine thinking that she was taking care of a a potential for strep throat when it was really gonorrhea. Um, Partner betrayal is so rough, and and it takes a long time, sometimes three to five years, to get through the um, normal brain dysfunction that occurs when you've been betrayed by the one person that was to have kept you safe. Mm. So that's where the uh, attachment injury comes from. The fact that he or she has failed to um, look at the uh, secure home base and from that the uh, the emotional support or the the kind of vision that they had together is no longer so. So that has been uh, shattered. And so so that ultimately leads to the um, trauma. And the next question I would like to ask you is why is sexual trauma so traumatic? Why, why you know, having an affair, is it different? Is it in a, a, a partnership, say, boyfriend and girlfriend? Uh, is it different in a marriage? Okay. Is it different? Mm. Those are a lot of great questions. Let's go through them one at a time. Start with the first one and just let me answer that, and then I'll take it to that next level. Okay, Carol. <laughs> Absolutely. So the first one was really, um, why is sexual betrayal so traumatic? Does it depend on what kind of relationship you are in, what sort of partnership, whether you're cohabiting, whether you're married, whether you're in the same sex relationship, is there a difference? Is there um, uh, a go-free kind of path in certain relationships? Do some certain relationships hold more value than others? Essentially, that's what I'm trying to establish. Yes, and the answer to that is that we have seen no specific correlation between Mm. um, length of time one has been with a partner and um, the kind of contract you had with him or her. What, What it really is dependent on is the factors of what kind of a relationship did they have before? What do they need, you know, in terms of what is it that they really need needed when they got into the relationship? And also the fragility of not only the partner, but also what kind of betrayal occurred? How much lying did he do? Who is he? And, you know, what did he do to her to keep her off the track? Hmm. There, a, I have no perfect. 
is there a valid reason why people betray? I personally don't think there is. You know, I I certainly know that people can be in unhappy relationships. They can be in abusive relationships. They can be in neglectful relationships. But when you are committed to somebody, whether that's verbally in a a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, same-sex relationship, or legally and spiritually because of a marriage, um, you are supposed to be able to trust that person. And when that trust is violated, uh, it actually makes a woman's brain go offline. And her amygdala goes into fight, flight, or freeze. It sends a message to the cingulate, that part of the brain that experiences such intense emotions. And then it takes the prefrontal cortex right off of line. And, and that person can't think anymore. A lot of times they can't speak. They have something called alexithymia, and they can't speak, and they really um, can't make decisions because they're in a trauma state. So would you say those symptoms are similar to post-traumatic stress? Absolutely. Almost Mm. 100%. So why do you not think it's recognized as such? Um, well, that's a good question, and I really believe that men and women who are experiencing partner betrayal right now are yes. are pioneers in that we've always had uh, partner betrayal in in history. However, yeah. the internet has made it so accessible, mm. so affordable, and so anonymous that men and women can cheat using the internet in a multitude of ways. And what we know about sex addiction is that it doesn't stay level. It gets worse and worse and worse. And so if the sex addiction occurs over a long period of time, so will the acting out. And as a result of that, it makes it much more devastating for couples today to deal with the behaviors because they can't imagine their partner having affairs with 30 people or with their best friends or going to massage parlors and and having sexual encounters to the tune of a thousand or prostitutes, escorts, and all types of services that require a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of betrayal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then I, 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 it has me questioning, really. Um, why do then people feel, why are people in relationships if they feel that they cannot be um, committed to one person? Or do people set out to make these choices? Do you think they're happening because of the circumstances in the relationship that leads them to that point? And that kind of leads me on to when is it okay to forgive? And can you forgive? Always the question is first, is healing and then decide whether forgiveness is actually uh, a choice that you should be making. Well, I'll answer that first question before I go to forgiveness because forgiveness is um, such a big topic. So ask me that first question again. Mm -hmm. The first question is that do you think that people set out, men and women, do they set out to make a choice to be dishonest? sexually in the relationship, or do you think it's a step of circumstance anyone could be um, exposed to and kind of reacting the same way? Mm, Okay, that's a great question, and here's why. Mm. I don't believe that anybody chooses to act out um, if, if it's an addiction. Now, you know, you have people that act out because they fall in love with their neighbor 
or they mm-hmm. act out because they always wanted to try prostitution and they have an opportunity when they go to another country. That is a sexual betrayal, but that is not sexual addiction. And so the partner betrayal that we talk about at APSADS is the kind that is absolutely correlated with sex addiction. And when someone is involved in sex addiction, they have lost the choice to stop themselves until they employ recovery tools. And now what I know to be true is that those recovery tools um, need to be very extensive and very comprehensive. So if a, I'm a certified sexual addictions therapist, and if a man or a woman were to come to me and say, I want to use you to help me work through my sex addiction and manage it so that I can be trusted again, mm-hmm. I would tell that person, I have 10 tools that I want you to use, and if you don't use at least eight of those tools, I am not going to help you because best of the best, founder of sex addiction himself, Patrick Carnes, Dr. Patrick Carnes, said no man or woman is strong enough to break free from sex addiction unless they have an entire committee of recovery Mm -hmm. tools that they are participating in every day. And Mm -hmm. so those recovery tools include um, going to some sort of support meetings, having a mentor, a sponsor, or a guide, reading the literature that supports whatever meeting they're going to, doing the internalized work, um, most of the time 12-step work, but sometimes recovery nations, some spiritual work, and then having fellowship with people who are have been through this, who are in good recovery and can be there for that person when the counselor can't. Then the second five are that you get yourself to a specialist, not any counselor can help you with this problem. You get I was going to say that, yes, Carol, going to ask. Mm-hmm. And what no, I, I interrupted you. I, 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 you just answered the question, and that's why I, uh, I was so excited to actually be part of this conversation is because it does take someone um, with great expertise like yourself to actually work with um, this kind of um, issues and um, surrounding sex addiction. So I'm glad that um, you mentioned that because I think that people out there think they can go to any therapist and they can address the issues. Um, but yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, you're welcome. And unfortunately, when you go to somebody who doesn't know what they don't know, they get yeah. very bad advice that usually causes mm-hmm. more partner trauma. You know, they may say inadvertently, oh, he's a sex addict. Well, how much sex were you having with him? And the implication is that maybe she should have been having more sex when sex addiction has nothing to do with how much sex a couple had. It has to do with this man's or woman's compulsion, compulsion to see what else is out there once their brain gets brain locked into the addiction. So I really believe that they need to see a certified sexual addiction therapist, and then they need to go to a therapy group, uh, which is different than a support group. It is a, a therapy group helps men work through the issues that contributed to the actual compulsion. And oftentimes that's something like trauma reenactment, Um, something that happened in that man or woman's life um, that they actually are reenacting as an adult unconsciously without their knowledge. So it really requires that you get a specialist to help figure that out. Not everybody suffers from trauma reenactment, but they find that a great majority of the men and women who are addicts have had trauma in their past. So leading on from that question, really, Carol, um, 
do you think there are some um, tips-addicted um, person um, who actually uses manipulation to hide their addiction and in some way, um, well, that's if they're not sort of um, received any intervention I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, but there's some people who go out there, and I think it's referred to as gaslighting, mm-hmm. who um, use their own um, issues and hide it or minimize it or deny the reality of it and kind of project that onto their partner. And so they receive the blame instead of sort of addressing the, the issue. And so obviously the partner then internalizes um, the, the issue the, the, the person who with the sex addiction has. And, and again, you know, it's another way of a, a dick outcast or the person who's uh, sexually uh, addicted. Yes, well, I really agree with you there. I, I find that um, to have an addiction means that you have to deceive, you have to lie, you have to manipulate, as you said earlier, to continue that addiction. And so, unfortunately, when a woman begins to ask questions because she intuitively knows something isn't right, And she asks direct questions, and he uses Mm. gaslighting and tries to make her feel as if she's the crazy one for even beginning to think that he might be doing something other than what he says. Or we know that Jennifer Fried, um, she she came up with uh, a very important tool that she saw in abusers, and This tool, I call it a tool because we want partners to recognize when this is happening to them, and it's called DARVO. And DARVO is when the addict will deny her suspicions and then attack her for even believing that that could be possible. And then he reverses the roles so that all of a sudden he's the victim. How dare you say these things about me? This is horrible. How could we ever get through this if you're going to feel like that? And he becomes the victim and he turns her into the offender. And that, again, is D-A-R-V-O, deny, attack, reverse, um, uh, victim, and then offender. And all of a sudden, the person who had good intuition, the partner, begins to doubt herself, similar to gaslighting. You know, gaslighting is when somebody makes you feel crazy for your own intuition, thoughts, and observations. Yes. So with with, with that, the long-term consequences of gaslighting for the other person can cause deep confusion, loss of self-esteem, identity, and um, the ability to not trust again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's yeah. why when you said earlier, you know, what do we recommend or how do we facilitate forgiveness, one thing we know at APSATS is that our partners that we work with, they get to make the choice as to whether they want to forgive or need to forgive. And we know that that forgiveness process can take days, months, or years. And so we don't automatically think they need to move right into forgiveness A, we want to know what they want to do. And then B, if they want that process, we know that's going to take a bit of time because to forgive really means that you no longer have angry feelings about what has been done to you. And so forgiveness is a process that you give yourself not necessarily the addict. Mm. So the question then, absolutely. So the question then is how do you heal? How do you heal mm. from a sexual betrayal? 
and the trauma as a result of that. How do you heal? There are some people who go out and um, respond to it negatively, whether it's through uh, addiction, whether it's through alcohol addiction, um, well, it can result in addiction if that is your coping medicine or go-to numbing medicine, um, whether it's through having um, sex, you know, um, to um, you know, get away from the, the idea of you not feeling possibly beautiful enough. That's why um, the, the, the unfaithful act happens. Uh, how does one cope after all of this? What, what is the, the suggestion? What would you suggest? Well, I, I guess I'll start with your first question was how does one heal versus how does mm-hmm. one cope? And if the partner decides she wants to stay with her husband and um, see if they can rebuild the relationship, I 100% believe she is going to heal once she sees that he is in good recovery and maintaining good recovery. He's working on himself and he's doing a good job. And when that happens, that's half of the process of healing. Now, I don't know, Caroline, if you knew, but I wrote a book called Help Her Heal, and it's an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal. And what I have seen that book. Yes, I have. You have seen that book? Yes, I have indeed, Carol. Oh, very good. Well, I really believe that Many times, men. Also, and I'm going to I'm going to categorize and generalize. I know. <laughs> Most men, um, yes. whether they're addicts or not, been taught how to have good relationship skills, and sure. so as a result, when you have addiction, on top of being a man, you have Absolutely. spent your whole addicted life hiding and isolating and lying and deceiving and those those things go directly against empathy and trust building and loving openly, honestly and authentically. So I really I help men to learn how to connect by developing empathy for what they did with their wife. Mm. Mm. So what if, say, Carol, these men um, that you're referring to haven't had that core um, attachment to anyone? Mm-hmm. How is it then possible for them to then um, feel a closeness, a genuine closeness, or someone who means them no harm, their partner, um, someone who they have put complete 100% trust. How can you then convince, I would say, um, try to get that person to create all those things that you spoke about, um, like empathy, which is quite difficult to do for a man who hasn't been in a situation where he has experienced that himself early on in his life. So even throughout his teenage life, what what would you suggest for someone like that? Do you think they're easy to actually rehabilitate or do you think it's kind of like a lost cause? Well, let's face it. When we're talking about people that have very disorganized um, attachment styles, they've never really felt the trust they needed to attach, they're going to be tougher, and they need a trauma therapist to help them with attachment. So not only do they need a CSAT, a certified sex addiction therapist, but they either need to get a CSAT who has trauma background or a separate therapist to help them with whatever trauma prevented them from being able to have that attachment. Um, And so, yes, that makes them much more difficult to work with. And then then I say, you know, I really believe that we now have groups. We have a group in the U.K. 
that teaches a helper heal techniques. And so being taught the techniques of helper heal and doing that in a group, and I always say, you know, what men learn in groups, they can then take back to their own homes. So if they're learning how to attach to a fellowship, that's always a real positive. And then if they're in this fellowship to learn empathy skills and communication skills and listening skills, um, if they're able to identify the partner's needs and understand her feelings and understand brain and why she is reacting the way she is, they will probably be stronger two years down the road than they ever could have been if even if they didn't have the addiction, if they just had that attachment rupture from the get-go. Mm. Mm. So really then I, I take from this conversation that there is hope after uh, a sexual betrayal and the trauma that results um, after. But um, just to say for women, what would you suggest for them? And then we think about what, what are the things that women possibly would find a challenge? And are there some differences to the way men would necessarily cope with the, the whole sexual betrayal and trauma? Well, the same thing is true for women in that they deserve the utmost of support. So I want to say before we start talking about women, I I know that you're going to have podcasts all over the world, but I want to tell you about Richard Butler, who is the man who, through the Naked Truth Project in the U.K., has started yes. these Help Her Heal, he calls them book study groups. And he um, is running 16-week book study groups centered on my book, Help Her Heal. And his last group had participants from the USA, New Zealand, France, and the UK. So they're not just limited to the UK. He does these consecutively, so no matter when this podcast airs, you can contact Richard um, at richard.butler at visibleministries.com, and he can help uh, set you up for an intake and get you going in your group uh, so that you can learn those, you know, empathy skills. Now, in terms of, yeah, in terms of women, when women have been traumatized by finding out that their husband has acted out, and again, this is any partner, but specifically I'm going to reference women, um, they usually do one of two things. They either hold the secret because they don't know who they can trust, Or they fall apart and they tell anybody who will listen. And so we at APSATS, again, a partner-sensitive training organization, really work with our clinicians and coaches to help contain that need to tell everybody. But we also want them to find at least one or two safe people that they can talk to because keeping this in and repressing this information is physiologically very damaging to the woman. You know, there's all sorts of physical implications when anybody represses trauma. So when I'm working with a woman getting her history, I'm so thankful that she is in my office talking about it. And then I make referrals to groups of women that I know are healthy, that are run by healthy facilitators, um, where they can get their needs met uh, multiple times in a week. 
I, I encourage women to look into the support groups that are internationally known as Ethanon and COSA. Uh, sometimes those groups are not the healthiest because they, they come from an old place in recovery. They come from a 12-step program that believes that the woman uh, was sick too. And one of the advocacy statements that we live by, we live and breathe this advocacy, we tell our partners, you had nothing to do with his addiction. You are not sick. You are not a co-addict. You are not necessarily codependent. You did not know what he was doing. You didn't know what you didn't know, and don't let anybody tell you that you are a part of his problem. Now, we do believe that it, the partner can be part of the solution, but that's if she decides to be part of the solution. We never want to guilt coerce or persuade her into staying if she really doesn't feel it would be in her best interest to stay in the marriage. So the um, the message, I think, for people going through such a betrayal and and trauma is that um, the recovery, uh, there are essential steps to take um, just as if you or in an abusive um, situation, uh, whether you were in a situation where you're with a partner who um, had an addiction problem, that is uh, a central step to take. And I know that you said one of them is that don't blame yourself and that um, you weren't the one who um, dishonored the relationship. And uh, I know for women, we, we, very, uh, we can be quite uh, emotional in our responses. And so... Try not to bring out that dark side of you that wants to do something that's quite um, disruptive to your health, which is um, quite easy to do when sometimes you feel you don't have uh, anyone who will uh, understand what you're going through or, you know, the um, the pain, because obviously the pain must be um, quite a great deal if she's um, going out there and responded to the, the pain in a very uh, traumatic, traumatic way. So I, I've actually learned quite a lot from this um, this conversation, Carol. And um, I mean, I'm more um, clearer as to why people um, do betray. Um, and also the importance is that sexual betrayal is, it is a traumatic experience. And although it's not recognized like uh, post-traumatic um, stress, um, it does um, come with the, the quite similar side effects, like recurrent episodes, triggers, and, and so on. So, yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a topic, but also a real-life situation for quite a few people out there. Um, and have you, just the last one, the last question I want to ask you, Carol, have you noticed that um, a particular age group would experience this more than another age group? Well, I don't know the statistics on that. I know we did a survey at APSAT, and the we interviewed people as young as 19 all the way to, I believe it was 73, and the average mean at the time of our survey was 49.6 years old. Um, but what I really believe is I am seeing more and more and more younger women um, and men in their early 20s that are coming in um, because of sexual acting out. And it's, it's a different kind of sexual acting out. It is with webcams, and it is um, through the different websites because these young men can have 10, 15, 20 screens open at a time surveilling, viewing, chatting, and talking, and they are filling their brain so quickly with information and data that are sexually charged 
that they're doing this incredible damage. And as a result, they come in after being discovered and with all this horrendous history, or they show up in my office because they can't have sex with their wives or they can't have sex with their girlfriends because they've trained their brain to look for the eroticism that comes from uh, these cheap hits with pornography and prostitutes and escorts and web chats. And because they've filled their brain with that, they've trained their brain and their arousal template to only be stimulated by that instead of the relationship. So they come in because he can't have sex. He doesn't get an erection, nor can he have an orgasm. So we're really seeing some significant physiological damage in young people today um, who try to have a sexual relationship face-to-face but revert back because they're unsuccessful to their webcams, to their virtual reality, to their porn sites, and to their web chatting. So this is very interesting. So you say that infidelity is not only with a person but also the physical engagement with something outside of the primary relationship. Mm-hmm. 100%. Well, unfortunately, what we're really finding all over the world, that it started in Japan, is that a lot of men, because now they can't have relationships with the opposite sex, um, they are um, paying for buying apparatuses, um, you know, this, this new goggle, um, virtual reality goggle situation is one huge opportunity to participate in 3D pornography. And um, so men all over the world are buying these goggles. They're watching porn that's 3D. They have... Um, they, they have materials, they have body parts that simulate a woman. It feels like mm-hmm. a woman. They lubricate like a woman. And they actually have sex with these body parts, watching the video and thinking that they're having sex with a real person. And we're getting more and more and more of these type of cases. So you can see that, you know, it's... It, it is not only a betrayal to a partner for him to cheat, but when he needs to visually simulate and stimulate using a doll, body parts, goggles, um, partners all over the world say, I don't know if I can be with this person again because this is just beyond my comprehension. And we really support the partner in taking the time for intentional self-care, find somebody who is partner-sensitive and trained so that they can support mm-hmm. you, find a group of women that you can talk to morning, day, day or night, morning, afternoon, or evening, and then do your homework to find out what is it that you need to get through this betrayal for yourself? That's really good advice, Carol. And you pointed out that um, infidelity is more of a emotional and physical engagement outside of the primary relationship, whether it's with a person or not. Mm-hmm. The point is, is that what you're saying is that it's the 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 is the connection that having outside the relationship rather than it's just a person that you're with. It's the, the dishonesty in that commitment, mm-hmm. um, which actually changed my ideas, really, because I didn't think that somebody who was uh, addicted to other ways of um, sexual um, gratification was um, being dishonest in the relationship. Is it that they don't tell you about it that creates the dishonesty or is it because they do it and not do it with you? With you? Both. 
you know, they're definitely exposed. There are very few partners that I meet where um, he has been honest. Perhaps he has said something like, let's attend a swinging swinging club or group invite mm-hmm. somebody back in our bedroom at home. But when she sets a boundary and she says, no, we are not going to do that, he then goes back into incognito and, um, and continues those adventures without her behind her back. Mm. That's so interesting. It changed my whole idea of what betrayal is, what sexual betrayal is. And um, it's no wonder there are so many young people today which you kindly uh, put forward to the conversation is that they are not really then discovering what real intimacy is. If you're having intimacy outside of a personal relationship, uh, a committed, honest and unconditional relationship, well, there's conditions to every relationship, but one we hope that is not full of many conditions. The only condition I think people should have on the relationship is to be open and honest um, and, uh, and committed. Um, but, yes, I'm, I'm fascinated with that part of it. And how do then, um, with the whole idea of sexualization, um, whether it's on TV, whether it's through music, um, magazines, how do we then re-educate um, people about what is it truly mean to be committed um, to someone in terms of intimacy. What does that What does that involve? What does that look like? That is such a good question because the people that I work with, my clients, my friends that are looking at issues around intimacy, unfortunately, they don't look at that until they've had some sort of fracture in their relationship. And what we really need to do is decide how can we be proactive and build that sense of intimacy early on in relationships Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and really emphasize and embrace those values that form attachment. So Mm -hmm. when you ask me that question, you know, there's certainly a lot of people out there, at least in the United States, you know, John Gottman Institute does a great job of fortifying marriages. And he is, in the United States, the only person that has had long-term longitudinal studies on couples and and their intimacy and their uh, the way they fight and their attachment. so I would say any time you can be part of a spiritual, um, intensive, a spiritual workshop, a spiritual meeting mm-hmm. that's ongoing, because, of course, you don't learn intimacy skills in a weekend. You have to learn them gradually, and you have to practice them, and you have to tweak them. And that goes hand-in-hand hand with values. Um, and, you know, where do you get your values? Is it church? Is it your parents? Is it your grandparents? Is it school? You know, we don't talk values uh, very often in schools or in colleges because there's lots of people that feel like that goes against the rights of people to to make their own determination. So, um, I would highly recommend anybody that want to look further at fortifying their relationship that they go to John Gottman, take a look at the work he's doing. Sue Johnson Johnson does a wonderful workshop on intimacy building. And, um, of course, read my book, Help or Heal. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to actually looking more into your book, um, Carol. I mean, I can't express how great it's been talking with you today. Um, I've learned so much, and I'm sure those who will be listening to my podcast will equally uh, have been excited to listen to the whole journey of sexual betrayal and trauma. Um, I think it's absolutely fabulous work that you're doing, and I can honestly say that you have changed my way of thinking about what is sexual betrayal and trauma and how it looks like.
Well, thank you, Caroline. Thank you very much. And how can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm on my podcast, which you can see on um, um, Crazy Over 40 Drive podcast. It's on Apple. Um, I'm also on Instagram and um, Facebook as well. Uh, um, so, yeah, I'm yeah, so I'm Caroline Brown, and I'm out there, so you uh, can to my podcast. Okay, Caroline Brown um, from the U.K.? From the U.K., yes, indeed. And uh, I have a podcast on the Crazy Over 40s Life, it's called, and it's on Apple, and it's on Spotify. Um, also, I, I don't have a my website in production at the moment, uh, but it's called oswaldpublishing.com. Um, also, I'm on Instagram, as well as uh, the Facebook, Caroline Brown, too. So I write books as well. Oh, very nice. Well, Caroline, it was a pleasure meeting you. And, you know, it it just really was very fun. Thanks again. No, it's been lovely, Carol. Thank you. All right. You take care. (laughs) Take care. Bye, everybody over there in the States. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 So that was Caroline Brown. And obviously, um, she had a nap going. I had my phone going. We had Zoom going because to talk with me for 45 minutes would probably cost her hundreds of dollars. And so I'm sorry that there was some um, disturbance there, but she was delightful and, and wanted to know more about partner betrayal and actually wanted to interview me for her podcast And I had set it up that I was interviewing on rediscovering intimacy, which is a new topic that she is developing. So we got our lines crossed, and I said, all right, all right, if you want to interview me, my goodness, my app listenership, they hear enough about me. But there you go. And I have to tell you, I'm super jazzed. We have 97,000 listeners as of today. And I will let you know when we hit that 100,000 mark because you're the one that's making it possible. Would you pay it forward and tell people to go to Betrayal Recovery Radio, the Accents Radio Podcast, we're partner sensitive, we'll always have your back, and uh, we're the educational advocacy and support group to help you heal. Would you let everybody know out there, because I want to hit that 100,000 mark, and I want to hit it soon. Okay, can you hear the storm out there? We will talk to you next week for more Betrayal Recovery Radio, and thank you so much for being such loyal listeners. Betrayal Recovery Radio, you're the best. And I mean that. You are the best. For more information, go to AppSats.org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.